Hey there, welcome to night school. You know, one of the least interesting discussions that takes place seemingly everywhere that I pay attention, seemingly every show that I listen to from more popular everyman, kind of uh, everyman with an alternative take type shows, to these obscure parapsychology shows, it seems like the topic of simulations and whether or not we're living in a simulation comes up all the time. And it's one of the more annoying topics, in my opinion. And so I'm going to try not to turn this into a game of one-upsmanship or act like I'm too cool for the conversation about whether or not we could be living in a simulation. I don't want this to come across that way. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the big points that I've been trying to hammer home, and it's come up a lot lately, is just that man created computers in his image, and that's something we need to remember. There is no chicken in the egg argument there. We know that man created computers, and because it... Because computers operate a specific way, that operation is a reflection of how we think and how we categorize information. And yeah, the code might be something else. That might be something a little different. I don't know how to translate that exactly to our own internal systems. Maybe someone can, maybe someone is able to explain that, make an analogy there. But in terms of what we see and how we use it, we created it in our image. The way information is arranged through the internet is a reflection of how we think and how we seek out information even within our own mind. And of course, the way that we communicate through computers, through technology, is not as different from the way that we communicate and think about communicating. That might be a better way of putting it as we do in, in real life. And when I say think about communicating, I mean in the sense that people communicate online differently sometimes than they do in person. But it's not that it's some totally separate universe of communication. People communicate online how they think sometimes they would like to communicate in person or uh, even removing thought entirely, it's a more direct way for their reptile brain to express itself. It's why people are so defensive or aggressive or offensive or nasty to each other. It's not that somehow they, they walk into this portal where their brain operates completely differently. It's that there is less of a buffer, less of a barrier preventing that form of communicating from coming out like it would in reality, where you have to see someone's response. You have to see their facial expression change in response to what you said, where you run the risk of getting socked, where you run the risk of getting socked with a, a sack of quarters, a sock filled with quarters. The real socked. Socked with a fist, you know, what is that? 
when you get socked, it's when that sack of quarters, that sock of quarters, a sack or a sock. But anyway, just the the simulation discussion, uh, I feel like it's very short-sighted. Because you figure, what is a simulation? You know, it's a recreation of something that happens in life. Sometimes we try to recreate life itself. You have second life. You have games that do that. You think about the simulation game, SimCity. You're simulating how you build and run a city. You know, a simulation is in some ways not different from role-playing. And when we hear simulation, we think of it in this sort of technological computer. We see it from a a technological perspective because that's the most obvious way to us now that we have created simulations. But many other things are simulations, too. I mean, I've always felt that going to restaurants is a simulation. You're simulating what it's like to be aristocracy, to be served They call them servers, but they're really servants. But they're not always servants. They go home. They don't live in your mansion. They don't live in your palace. But what's going on in a restaurant is a simulation of something that existed before that the average person didn't used to have access to. You know, the average person, a peasant, couldn't save up their money... They couldn't save up their their golden coins with the king's face stamped on them and go to a place where a, another peasant pretended to be their servant for an hour. You know, they couldn't do that. That's It's a modern development that the average person can go to this place where they can pretend to know what it's like to be an aristocrat sitting at a table evaluating everything, being a critic of everything. It's not just... Because that's the amazing thing about restaurants is that you're not just going to eat. And I know this is mind-blowing. People go to restaurants for more reasons than just to eat. But no, they go to restaurants and they're evaluating the service of their servant They're evaluating the decor. They're evaluating the food. They're evaluating the food over multiple courses. Oh, you know, the appetizer wasn't great. The main course was good. The dessert sucked. You know, it's like not just one thing or the other. It's this constant evaluation of every little thing and this comparison as well. And this weighing, there's this scale to the whole experience as well where it's like well the the service sucked but the food was good whereas the place across the street the food sucks but the service is great and there's something about that experience that invites people to be critical and i feel that i virtue signal you know, to use that buzzword, but I feel that I virtue signal sometimes when when I'm like, why do people treat service workers bad? Why would you go to a restaurant and treat a service worker bad? Because it seems like such an obvious thing. That to me is in the same category as what I was talking about recently when I was like, 
when people come out with these bold declarations like, pedophiles are bad. I don't like bullying. You know what? I don't like bullies. You know what? I think pedophiles should be hung upside down and dipped in volcano lava pits. You know, like people say those things like they're these bold declarations like, oh my God, when they're just obvious things that most people believe. And I feel the same way when I have said, why don't people just treat their waiter and waitresses like human beings? And that's a big topic of discussion. I mean, if you know people who work in that industry, they obviously there's a negativity bias to the whole experience, first of all, where someone can have, like if your girlfriend is a, a waitress or something to that effect, uh, you know, she can have wonderful customers all day. And then the one bad person is going to be the thing she talks about when she comes home. You know, so it's a job with a, and there's a high chance that you'll have a negative experience. Um, so while it is worth pointing out that, hey, you know, I know that you're simulating the aristocratic experience for an evening. You got a babysitter so that you can simulate what it's like to be an aristocrat so that you can role play so that you can play this game, because that's what's always pushed me away from restaurants. And I used to be very weird about restaurants. I still am. I, I still am very weird about restaurants. I used to be very, very weird, uh, to the point where, you know, if friends were visiting, I was hanging out with friends, and everyone was like, hey, let's go to a restaurant. I'd be like, see ya. I'm going home, guys. Tell me when you get home from. <laughs> tell me when you get back from the restaurant, and I'll resume hanging out with you. I, I, not even kidding. I used to do that. I really didn't. You know, obviously, I went to restaurants growing up. It's not like I freaked out when I was in restaurants. But uh, you know, I just I was never into that experience. It felt artificial to me, and I tried to avoid it. And I still feel that way. But it it was to the point where I just I didn't. If I had the choice, I would even. I was willing to to be incredibly awkward about it. I mean, uh, I didn't start really going to restaurants with my peers until I was a young adult, you know, and, and seriously dating. Seriously dating. But even then, I remember going on a date with a girl. I think we went out for coffee. I was, you know, probably like 21. And uh, she was like, you know, it was in the evening. And she was, it was probably early evening. And she was like, did you want to maybe go get something to eat after this? Did you maybe want to go? <laughs> did you maybe want to go get something to eat after this? And I was like, I already ate. Which I don't know that I did. I mean, I probably ate at some point that day. But the idea of like sitting there at this table, staring across from each other while a servant comes up to us, I didn't really want to do that. And uh, she was she hadn't eaten dinner, and I was like, "Well, I'll, I'll yeah, let's I'll go. I'll go to a restaurant with you." And so we went to a Japanese restaurant, and she ordered dinner, and I ordered nothing, and I sat there doing nothing while she ate in front of me. And we stayed together for three years, so it, it, she must have loved my, uh, she liked my style. She liked my style of sitting 
in a restaurant awkwardly not ordering anything or eating. Because that's one of those situations where even if you ate prior, it's not like we discussed it one way or another, but even if you ate prior, you'd order a little bit of something. You'd do something to have, you'd, you'd have some sort of activity to do. You'd order an appetizer, you'd order something small. No matter how much you're watching your diet, there's probably something you could order to distract everyone from the void. But I just, I was like, I'm just going straight into the void. I'm going to sit here on this date and order nothing. And that wasn't the only situation like that. I still do that sometimes. No, I don't, I don't really go on dates, but uh, I still get into situations like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't really until like, I actually was like, oh, you know, if I'm going to actually be able to go out with girls more than one time, you just, you need something to do. Girls like restaurants. <laughs> you think about a guy who gets a haircut, like a guy who gets a haircut that he thinks is going to impress girls like this haircut. Girls like bowl cuts. Oh, girls like it when a guy uh, bleaches the tips of his hair and spikes it up. Uh, oh, I'm going to get this haircut. Oh, girls like guys who are into this band. For me, it was just, oh, girls like restaurants. But that, you know, the, the extent of my interest in restaurants was just being willing to go to them. God forbid, you know, I'm forced to decide which restaurant or come up with a, oh, I know a place. She's been deciding what restaurant we go to on every date. It's my turn to show her that I know the jewel, the hidden jewel. That's the name of the restaurant. <laughs> the hidden jewel. Uh, the hidden jewel in the hole in the wall. Oh, I know a restaurant. It's called the hidden jewel in the hole in the wall. <laughs> every burrito has a diamond hidden in it. And even if you break a tooth, it's worth it. Because the diamond's worth more than your tooth. Um, but, uh, you know, if I had to decide, it would just be like, I, yeah, I'll take you to, uh, I'll, t I'll take you to a place. I'll, t I'll take you to a place. We can really simulate, you know, I know we're 20 years old and ain't got much, but we can pretend for the next 40 minutes that we're aristocracy. Just like they did in the old days. We have, we have a servant. And we have strong opinions about everything he. There's not enough fish in the fish tank over there. It'd be nice if they had some white fish in addition to the orange fish. A little more variety. Great restaurant. Four stars. I wish they had a little more variety of fish in the fish tank. I joke, but not really. I mean, people get that specific. But anyway, point being, restaurants to me, I've always been very aware of the fact that I'm participating in a game, and there are rules to that game. Now it seems like there are more rules for the few restaurants that are available, and that just shows how much people want to play that game. You know, the fact that people are going to restaurants right now, you know, to support them, 
to keep them alive, to, to keep people working. I understand that angle. The idea of if you have the money going to restaurants so that restaurants survive and can support people's living during a time where, you know, jobs are scarce. Jobs are scary and scarce. I understand that angle, but the idea that, like, people are willing to go to restaurants now to have that experience and that the food is that important, that, that to me is funny. Like, I, under, I understand this practical economic side of keeping businesses open and giving people jobs, but for me right now, the idea, the appeal of going to restaurants to keep that game going. Can't let this game die. How else will I feel like an aristocrat? But there are just, you know, there are things that just wouldn't have been available to us in the past, and so we create simulated versions of that. You know, it's it's like how TV is something that just the average person watches, but the average person doesn't go and watch Broadway performances. And Broadway performances are associated with, you know, a higher level of culture. It was the aristocracy that would go see these performances. It wasn't something available to the peasants. And so while a a theatrical performance is itself a simulation of life. They're simulating the storylines of our lives, the days of our lives. You know, TV is a simulation of that. TV is a simulation of that simulation. Movies, you know, too. And so in many ways, you know, the creation of, of these simulations and simulations within simulations in our world are a way to make certain aspects of life more accessible to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to access it. I mean, when I'm at my most pseudo-autistic, you know, and I know the whole restaurant thing probably sounds that way, but when I'm at my most pseudo-autistic, it's in years past when I used to just smoke weed and play uh, these football simulators. Or, you know, you you think about all these people who play Madden, uh, we were playing Madden, where you actually control the players and play the game of football. I didn't really like that. I, I never really loved doing that. And so in these old versions of Madden, you used to be able to run franchise mode where you didn't actually, I mean, you could play the games, but you could just simulate them. And it was called that. You never actually saw the game get played. It would just there was some sort of equation based on, you know, how many good players you had and, you know, this and that, and it would simulate the game and it would tell you who won. And so you could pretend to be either a front office, uh, a front office manager, you know, a front office worker or coach. You could pretend to be the you could pretend to be the, you know, the the general manager, the personnel manager of the team, and you never actually had to play nor watch the game of football. And so in Madden, you, you used to be able to do that, and it wasn't intended to work that way. When they designed the old franchise mode in Madden, it was not intended for you to sit there and just basically, you know, manage the personnel on the team and never play the game. It gave you the options. I guess they figured some people might do it. 
But I don't think they imagined that every, or I don't think they imagined that somebody would only do that. And then, sure enough, people started developing these games, these much more obscure games. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the name of the game that I got really into, but it was this guy. It was a game made by a single guy, and you could download it on your computer. What's it called? A football mogul. He originally made Baseball Mogul, and then he made the same game for other sports, and he made Football Mogul, and it is primitive. You're staring at a, basically a spreadsheet. You're looking at a spreadsheet. You're making trades. You're deciding you know, what playbook your team is going to use. You're even deciding. It's got a SimCity element where you're even deciding you know, what the stadium your team plays in is going to charge for souvenirs, soda, and food separately. I'm not even kidding. You decide what you're going to charge for merchandise, souvenirs. get to also decide food. get to also decide souvenirs. And then you never actually watch the game get played. You click a button and it simulates every single game. And based on how well you've structured the team you know, how your behind-the-scenes decisions have gone, your team has a better chance of winning. It's not totally random, because whether or not you win the simulated game is based on the decisions you've made, but it does have an element of randomness. Uh, and it's the game is a simulator. You're, you're simulating what it would be like to be a football mogul, somebody, a president of a football team, a general manager, a coach. You're simulating that. And yeah, it's, you know, like I said, pseudo-autistic because I can't imagine the average person ever wanting to do that. I had an ex-girlfriend who, I told her all about it and she was, her mind was blown. One time she watched me play. I don't like, you know, I don't let people watch me do very many things. I don't like, I was just telling my friend last night how you know, whether it's at work or at home, the idea of someone seeing what's on my screen, on my computer screen, is just unacceptable to me. And I, I'm rarely, if ever, looking at anything that's truly, you know, uh, that, I, that I should be embarrassed about. It's, it's not like I'm sitting there looking at pornography. It's not like I'm sitting there looking up restaurants. Uh, but no, I, I don't like people looking at my screen. So the fact that I let a girlfriend watch me play football mogul was really um, not okay, really. I mean, it didn't feel good. <laughs> but I wanted her to get a, a taste. I wanted her to see into that side of my life that sits there staring at a spreadsheet of like players' heights. And those games, the simulation can get depressing because... You can play that game, you know, it progresses through the years, and the way Football Mogul was set up is that you start out, and the old Madden franchise mode was this way too, but Football Mogul was the peak of simulating, you know, being a football front office manager. Uh, but in Football Mogul, you would start out with real players, because you would start out in, say, the current year, and Football Mogul would let you go back you could you could actually start in 1990, and it would have players who existed back then. In case you wanted to know what it felt like to be a, a football, the president of a football team in 1990. But let's say you start with the current year. You know, it would have all the players that are currently on that team. 
But if you play it long enough, like if you get stoned enough and you play it long enough, it'll be like 2040 and you're still coaching that team and you've won 10 Super Bowls and all of the players now that were on the the team have retired. So all of the players now on the team by 2040 are randomly generated fake names. And so nothing is real anymore. And it's depressing. It's it feels really depressing when you realize that the last real player, the last real life player on your team retired, the guy who was 20 years old in 2020 is now 45 and he retired five years ago and every player on your team is not a real person and you've been sitting there for seven hours simulating football games this is real you know (laughs) um but uh you know it just shows we we have a need for simulation and you know it obviously comes out in the form of games and um but many things are, you know, in the same way that I can point out everything is a form of role playing and it can get kind of obnoxious to be like, well, that's LARPing and that's LARPing and this is LARPing. And, th- and it's like uh, Dorothy, you know, uh, you know, I-, I had the wildest dream and you were LARPing and you were LARPing, you were LARPing. It's kind of like that. You can easily, you know, if you let your mind go there and it's not too hard to get there, really to recognize everything as a form of LARPing. And people are starting to notice that. You know, it's not a a unique thought to me. You know, I noticed that people were starting to say that about, uh, when, when, say, like, the Proud Boys and Antifa were up against each other at some of these protests and riots, I noticed some of the commentary. People were saying, look at these people LARPing. And it really doesn't feel that different, even though there's violence and there's very serious things going on. It doesn't feel that different from when you go to the park and there's a bunch of nerds LARPing with fake swords. You know, it doesn't feel that different because it seems like the intention is still similar. We have a need to LARP. We have a need to roleplay. But you can easily do the same thing with simulations where you start to recognize that everything is a simulation. Going to a restaurant is a simulation, which I think is an important and overlooked point. You know, it's it's easy to recognize it when you're playing Sim City, Simulation City. It's not hard to, you know what? And but I mean, honestly, when people say, "Do you think we're living in a simulation?" I feel that that has the same level of sophistication as someone saying, "Do you think that Sim City is a simulation?" Because first of all, I don't think life is a simulation. But there are aspects of life that are simulated. You know, we... But there's no... I mean, to me, the idea that life itself is a simulation is a purely secular thought. To me, that is a product of godlessness. And I don't say that as a criticism of it. It's just a simple fact that a godless a godless or secular mindset would think we're living in a simulation. Things are just getting so weird. That's how people always put it in that context. Things are getting so weird. It's also something that happens when people respond to when when a synchronicity happens. When people experience synchronicity, they will often say the simulation is broken. 
I think the simulation... I think the simulation is broken. Yo, I think the simulation's broken. People say that when they experience synchronicity because they have no other way of comprehending it and they think life is supposed to be a certain way. And I believe the reason that this has come up more and more in recent years is one, we become more and more godless, we become more and more secular. It's not, when I say godless, I don't even necessarily mean the belief in the Christian God. I just mean our frame of reference has gotten more and more earthly and away from larger celestial bodies. And of course, we're more interested in space, but I'm talking about things bigger than space, baby. I'm I'm talking about things bigger than space. But, uh, you know, uh, as we've gotten further and further away from ideas like God or ideas like, um, you know, even, you know, Buddhist cosmology, Hindu cosmology, you know, as culture gets more and more invested in, in itself as the largest component, as people, as in seeing people as the largest component, we don't know how to respond to weird events. And they are weird. You know, synchronicity excites me. And as I, I've explained before, I had a realization that synchronicity is a more appropriate way to refer to all synchronistic events. Whereas I used to be like, a synchronicity happened to me. Oh, it's so cool when synchronicity is happening to me. But what's actually happening when you experience synchronicity is you're getting a glimpse of the same thing. And just because it is obscured some of the time doesn't mean it's not the same interconnected thing. And it's, if there's any meaning or intention behind those experiences, sometimes it does feel meaningful, sometimes it doesn't. And if you're honest with yourself, you know when it feels meaningful, you know when a coincidence is meaningful, you know when an experience is is truly strange, Uh, and you know when it's just something banal. But, uh, you know, I've finally realized after years of being so excited by every individual synchronicity and wanting to call somebody and be like, you wouldn't believe the synchronicity that happened to me today. What do you think synchronicities are all about? Is it a sign that we're in a simulation? A simulation? You know, is it people go there with it? Uh, when I, but I just realized, oh, you know, no, actually, if if synchronicity is communicating anything, it's letting you know that there truly is a a wholeness to everything, a wholeness. And uh, that's a pretty big realization once you actually feel it. You know, you can entertain that idea intellectually, which I did for years. You'd hear people say, you'd hear spiritual people say, oh, everything's connected, it's all one. And on an intellectual level, you can entertain that and kind of understand it. But when you actually feel it, it's something entirely different. And uh, th- that's sort of what happened to me when I realized, oh, you know, sy- the experiences of synchronicity are showing you glimpses of, let's say, the same mountain. And just because you're driving along and a bunch of trees obscure your view of the mountain for a minute, or a city skyline obscures your view of the mountain, 
the next time you see that mountain when there's a break in the skyline doesn't mean it's a different mountain. And so that's what synchronicity is like for me. It's a, it's one experience that communicates a wholeness. But people struggle to understand synchronicity in the secular world, which is why they start thinking of life as some sort of computer simulation when they experience synchronicity. This thing that they created... People start saying, oh, you know, maybe life is like a computer. No, a computer is like life. Don't get it mixed up. A computer is like life as man understands it. And yeah, you you can say that life resembles a computer in some ways because we made computers to resemble life, in particular our lives. And they don't look like us yet. A computer itself doesn't look like us, but, you know, we'll make that. We'll make a computer that is shaped like a man. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's done it. That's that's what the androids we fear are going to be. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a secular question. It's a godless question to ask, are we living in a simulation? Because many people have experienced weird events, strange events. If you look through history, it's just filled with strange events. Especially during certain periods, you'll notice that there are a lot of strange events occurring. But people were able to understand them in a spiritual context. And... In a way that that gave people less to wonder about, you know, because I remember in high school I knew this Christian girl who had started hanging out with my friends. I guess she she wanted to hang out with the bad. I was going to say the bad boys, the bad people. Just just call us bad people. But no, she started hanging out with us, and she didn't do any of the things we did. She wasn't experimenting with drugs or drinking, but, uh, you know, I think she, like, liked one of my friends, and she was a nice girl, but I remember asking her point blank one time, like, why are you a Christian? And I didn't mean it to be an attack, but it was also, you know, it may have been a rude question. I mean, looking back at it, I can't imagine asking someone that same question now. And she, like her family, were they were devout Christians. They had a ton of kids. And she answered me very honestly. And she, the main thing that I remember, though, is she mentioned that her brother had had a near-death experience where he saw Jesus with open arms. And, of course, you could say, oh, he... He was raised in a Christian household, so that idea was already in his head. And maybe that's true. But what is important to it is that, you know, part of her faith resulted from her brother's near-death experience, and if you if you talk to anybody who's a Christian, they will take events like that, or synchronicity, and they see that as a communication from God. You'll hear New Age people, you'll you'll hear more secular-minded New Age people or people who are into, you know, alternative spirituality, whatever that means. You know, we kind of know what that means in a cultural context, but it's a silly-sounding phrase. Alternative spirituality! 
Um, and they'll talk about synchronicity and they'll be like, when you start experiencing synchronicities, because nobody really talks about synchronicity as one thing, which is really funny considering it is a communication of total interconnectedness. But people still tend to focus on these individual events. But but one thing people say about them, which I agree with, is that you experience them when you're on the right track. And in a self-help context, that means, like, you're going to be successful. Oh, you're experiencing synchronicity. That means you get, you're on the path to success. You're on the path, you're on the path to feeling good. You're following your bliss. But in my experience, synchronicity does mean you're on the right path, but it might be a painful path. It might be leading you in the the grain. You might be following the grain. You might be going with the grain of the wood, but it's taking you to a place that's going to be dark and painful that you need to go to. Or it might might not even be that. It might not even be as alluring as pain. It might be boring. The thing nobody wants. People want pain and bliss much more than they want boredom. And so sometimes synchronicity actually leads you to a very boring place. And I wouldn't say it leads you. I would say it's a sign that you're going to a place you need to go to. And that is the right path. It's not necessarily the pleasurable path. It's not necessarily the the most materially rewarding path, but it is the path that you should probably be on, one of them. I mean, I'm not one to say there's one single path at any given time that you have to go down, but synchronicity seems to happen in higher frequency, especially when you're going down a path you need to go down. And You'll hear Christians talk about that. When they experience synchronicity, they'll say, oh, it's God telling me that I—it's God giving me a message. And to them, it's even, it even affirms or reaffirms their belief in God. Because when you experience things that are strange and outside your normal human earthly point of reference, even though you're experiencing these things on earth, but still, when they seem to suggest there is something larger, some— other connections out there. Somebody who has a certain faith will see those as a communication from a higher power. They don't think, oh, uh, there's a glitch in the matrix. Oh my God. My friend brought up uh, tree frogs today. You wouldn't believe it. I I was at a restaurant with a friend. And he started talking about this this documentary he saw on tree frogs. I was driving home, and I pulled over to use the restroom, and what did I see? A tree frog. I saw, I thought, I saw a freaking tree frog hopping around outside the restroom. From the restaurant to the restroom. Two, two, you know, how often do tree frogs come up? Then I went home, and I was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And guess what? The answer to one of the questions was tree frogs. It was a triple synchronicity. Synchronicity. A trip. A triple synchronicity. It's a glitch in the matrix. The simulation's broken. Simulation broken much? <laughs> uh, no, people. That's how people talk now, though, when they experience these things. 
And it's not limited to synchronicity. Synchronicity is just one that I, I feel that most people understand and can, can relate to. Uh, there's also some other strange things that happen because you also hear people say it. I mean, uh, you know, when when Donald Trumpsfeld got elected president, uh, some people were like, yeah, "Reality star got elected president. This must be a glitch in the matrix." Oh, you hear that this? Oh, this came up. This thing happened in the world. Glitch in the matrix. A glitch in the simulator. The matrix is broken. I haven't heard I haven't heard it put that way. The matrix is broken. But people relate it to those ideas because those are secular ideas. Uh, you know, when and it, it doesn't it, it goes hand in hand with people being more and more you know, more and more devoted to the religion of science. You know, when you're devoted to the religion of science, you have this very limited set of parameters in which things can happen. And you start to see life itself within those parameters. And so when things happen that challenge that, that suggest that something is occurring outside or even more even more difficult for people to comprehend inside, even deeper inside of that. Because, I mean, science is so interested in examining what's inside of things, as well as outside, of course. I mean, it's there's an interest in space and going further and further out there. But there is also this dissection. You know, there's we literally dissect things in school because we want to see what's in there. But the idea that something could be in there that can't be detected through scientific means, at least not directly at this point, you know, it's, it's difficult for people to understand and accept. And I'm not trying to convince anybody of that. I'm not trying to convince anybody who believes that way, because to me it's a pointless argument. I have nothing to prove. But as people have become more and more devoted to that way of thinking, if I can't dissect it, it don't exist. If I can't see it through a a telescope, if a scientist didn't tell me how the universe is growing and expanding, and how it all started with the big banger, you know, I I can't believe it. We're We're willing to believe some incredibly out there things. But when things actually happen to us, when we experience a synchronicity, we say, it's just statistical probability. There's 10 billion, trillion, dillion things out there. So there's a statistical probability that tree frogs came up in multiple avenues in the same day. But, uh, you know, so it's people, people will see things in the terms that they understand, and when things break that, they either have some sort of catch-all, like statistical probability. Eventually, things, eventually st- statistical probability was going to mean that tree frogs lined up in every conversation and, and source of sensory input I experienced on a given day. Eventually, it was all going to line up. It's like a, 
It's like a slot machine where eventually the same things are all going to line up at the same time. And, you know, there's some truth to that. You know, there is. A, a statistical probability would suggest that uh, certain things would line up at any given time or certain things would come up. But there are meaningful synchronicity. It's hard for me to get away from the pluralization of it. And I'm doing, I'm trying to avoid that very intentionally. Um, but it, it's very easy to. I don't know. It's, it, to me, it's being honest with yourself. When you experience synchronicity, it's very easy to know whether it is scary, ecstatic, meaningful, or there's a hint of something meaningful. Not that you necessarily understand the meaning, but sometimes you do get a feeling there is something in this that I need to consider or think about. While other times it is just something silly. And that is the wholeness right there. The fact that you can experience these things, the fact that whatever it is, whether you're a Christian who believes it's God, whether you're a Buddhist who believes it's just, you know, it's these are just things floating around on the surface of the Dharma, and eventually they line up, you know, no matter how you see it, whether you think it's statistical probability, it doesn't really matter how you view it. Sometimes, you know, you, you feel that it's profound when things line up and that you are on this right path or that you it's, a, it's an epiphanous moment. Speaking of tree frogs being amphibious, it's an epiphanous, amphibious moment, but... Sometimes it does feel very profound, and other times it's very silly and easy to dismiss. It's just funny. Oh, it's funny that came up. But the fact that it could be both of those things, the fact that it could be among the most profound experiences a human can have, as well as the most silly, easily dismissed experience a human can have, what does that mean? Does that mean we should think it's always one or always the other? Or should we think of synchronicity as a spectrum? And the fact that it can communicate itself as a spectrum from profound to silly, and silly can be profound. So you can't dismiss that either. It's not just a, a, you know, a white to gray to black spectrum. I mean, there's a whole, you know, it's, it's really limitless. Uh, the spectrum is limitless. Therefore, how is it a spectrum? I don't know. I don't know. How do we measure a limitless spectrum? I didn't take calculus. I don't know. I don't believe in God. I don't. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I, a limitless spectrum. I'm trying to think of that quote about circumference. Um, uh, God is an infinite sphere, the center of which is everywhere, the circumference nowhere. Apparently that was stated by Voltaire. I'm seeing it, like I looked up that quote, and it's being attributed to everybody. <laughs> I thought it was Carl Jung, honestly. It's one of those quotes, though, that seems to have 
many different sources, which is even better. The fact that God, the fact that the statement "God is an infinite sphere," the center of which is everywhere, and whose circumference is nowhere, the fact that that has been attributed to seemingly an infinite number of sources is even better. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, but uh, you know, it's that sort of idea where that's a limitless spectrum. That is is a you know, and the fact that that's how someone envisions God. And clo- that's close to my vision of God as well. I don't, not that I have a real vision of it, but uh, it's, it's close to how I experience the sensation of God. But to someone else, it's, you know, if, if you try to measure that, if you try to use calculus to, to fill in the gaps, you know, God help you. Not that I don't believe you should try to do that. Not that I think. Not that I'm trying to put any um, fence around anybody. I'm not trying to fence anybody in here. I'm just talking about what I see and experience. And uh, but just it is a very secular way of thinking. It is a very godless way of thinking to experience synchronicity, to experience a strange epiphany, for that matter. To see or feel something phenomenal and to think that it's somehow the system being broken, when in reality it's a sign that the system is working as well as it ever has and ever will and ever did, because it doesn't break. The system doesn't break, guys. It's not a glitch in the matrix. The simulation isn't broken. And no, we're not living in a simulation. We create simulations. We do it all the time. People even do it during sex. You know, people who role play. You know, as I said earlier, you know, there's obviously a strong correlation between role play and simulation. When I play football mogul, it's been years. You know, who gives a fuck how many years it's been since I stopped drinking? It's been... 456 days and 7 hours since I last played, and 2 minutes since I last played football mogul. That's what matters, is football mogul addiction. But when I used to play football mogul, I was ro- while I was playing a simulation, I was role-playing that I am the personnel manager and coach. Uh, I was, you know, I was running the show of a professional football team, and I was good. I was good at my job. <laughs> I was, you know, participating in a simulation of something real, but I was role-playing that I was something other than what I was, because that's what a simulation requires. And it's the same thing that we do in restaurants, where we are role-playing, we are participating in a simulated environment. While there is real food and real people earning a living in this real place with real decor, sometimes real decor, some restaurant decor is more real than others, but, uh, you know, we are participating in a simulated environment where we are pretending we know what it's like to be 
aristocrats with servants. And we reward that servant for being, for enjoying their service to us. She just made me, she, oh, she always knows what we want. She remembers us. That waitress, she always remembers us and knows. She Oh, she guessed what I get. She, it's what I always get. That's another one of those things, not to go back too far into the restaurant talk, but it's like I'm of the philosophy, and I would say it's a philosophy, that when I go to a restaurant, even if it's a restaurant I go to, my girlfriend and I go to every week. We go there every week, sometimes twice. And the second that they start recognizing us and predicting what we're going to order, I want to get the heck out. I'm done. Because to me, that's not the way the simulation is supposed to work. That's a glitch, and that's when the simulation is broken. I want that restaurant to act like I'm a, a brand new face every time I go in there. Whereas other people love the idea of being a regular, and the idea that for them it's a human experience. <laughs> It's like, oh, I, I, I love going to the, I, I love going to, you know, uh, the Green Dragon. Me and my wife, we go to the Green Dragon every week, and they know us. They know where we like to sit. They always lead us to our favorite table. She goes, oh, you, you're getting the fried tofu, ain't you? You're getting the fried, the, the, the waitress at the Green Dragon, our favorite waitress, she'll say, you're getting the, uh, let me guess, the fried tofu. These are cute, fun things, you know, to do as a living human being. I don't mean to make a mockery of them. But for me, just on an intuitive level, when that happens, when I'm participating in a simulation and things get too friendly, I'm out. <laughs> I don't like to be uh, predicted or recognized. I don't like to get sucked into the algorithm because that's an algorithm. In the same way that, you know, on social media, you start getting targeted ads based on your Google search history. It starts recommending you, uh, you know, I don't know. Because you went to a website that has weird toys for autistic children like pads with velcro straps that can like be tightened so that you're just like laying there like you're on a gurney because the pressure feels good like you look that up one time and then you start getting ads for that or bail bonds the one i the example i always use when i said bail bonds out loud at a party and the next day i started getting ads for bail bonds online uh, you know, it's it's like the algorithms in that way where it starts giving you what it thinks you want. That's how I feel when I go into a restaurant and they start predicting what I'm going to order because I'm a regular. When things go kind of off script in that way and it's like, because you normally order the chicken tikka masala, we're going to ask you if you want the chicken tikka masala. It makes sense. It makes sense. This guy always orders the... Because when that happens, when the waiter is like, or waitress is like, let me guess, you're going to order the chicken tikka masala? My impulse as an oppositionally defiant rebel is to say no. 
Bring me the lamb vindaloo. The servant is oh, the servant is being very presumptuous today, don't you agree, darling? The servant is being very presumptuous today, don't you agree? The food oh, the food isn't what it used to be here. Day old I say day old bread. The waiter brought me day old bread and I wanna go home. <laughs> as far as dumb jokes on this show go, that might take the cake. Day old, I say day old bread. The waiter brought me day old bread and I wanna go home. <laughs> That's a that might be I, I don't know. Kind of talking about how the the spectrum of synchronicity is profound to silly, and sometimes they can be the same thing. That joke might be that. That might be both the best and worst joke I've ever made, by my standards. Um, as my friend Miles talks about, you know, the Ouroboros snake the idea of his tail that he's swallowing breaking out through the back of his skull. I've talked at length about what that means to me. He came up with the idea, but I've talked about, you know, it had such an effect on me that I've talked about it on here, and I give him full credit for that. But, you know, that to me is like one of those moments in my own brain. But anyway, and that's what people are experiencing in many ways. When people are saying... Oh, the simulation is broken. There's a glitch in the matrix. My version of that is the tip of the Ouroboros' tail is breaking out through the back of its own skull. And I say that my version because it's Miles' idea, but to me, that is a symbol that I can use. And it means something to me. In the same way that somebody is a Christian and they have their own interpretation, it's very simple. Talk about simplification. One of the problems is is that a secular life is an overcomplicated. Uh, a secular life is an overcomplicated life in many ways, because that Christian girl that I knew, who when I asked her in high school why she was a Christian, and she just right away had an answer. She just said, my brother had a near-death experience. I mean, her family was already Christian, so the on an intellectual level, on a traditional level, it was already in her. But the fact that her brother had a near-death experience in which he saw Jesus, and that had an impact on her and reaffirmed her faith, that's really simple. Because I'm not very interested, even, I, I find near-death experiences interesting, but I'm not interested in hearing about them. Like, I don't like to listen to people talk about their near-death experiences, because I don't like to hear people talk much about their dreams either. Even though I think the phenomenon of near-death experiences and the phenomenon of dreaming are incredible. And my own dreams or as I call them, near-death experiences. No, but uh, as my own, I find my own dreams incredible sometimes, but I'm hesitant to talk to people about them, and I get bored when people start going on and on about their own dreams sometimes, a lot of the time. So while I think near-death experiences are fascinating, I'm rarely interested in hearing people discuss them. And this Christian girl, her, you know, her take on it was so simple 
While on the other hand, I'll listen to these paranormal or parapsychology podcasts where they'll talk about near-death experiences for an hour and dissect the whole thing. And even though there's a spiritual component, because those shows often do have a, a spiritual component, which is why I listen to them, they really overcomplicate the whole thing. They give it this deep analysis that never comes to any kind of conclusion, and I'm glad it doesn't come to any kind of conclusion, to their credit. And I think many people do find listening to those conversations interesting, but this girl who simply believed in God was just like, oh yeah, it was God. Oh, it was just, you know, a Christian experience. And it was very simple, and I like that simplification, because that simplification is what the wholeness, that's what the totality is. Even though though the wholeness and the totality includes everything, recognizing the wholeness or totality of it is itself a simplification of this thing with so many different parts that we can get lost in. So I don't think someone has to believe in God or they have to simplify all of this. I don't think they there has to be a catch-all way of understanding some of the experiences that break the algorithm. But as we get deeper and deeper into secular thinking, as algorithms become a, a, you know, a more common part of our lives, like just the fact that we're able to call these things algorithms and experience them through computers, we act like that's a new thing. When people think algorithmically, people act out algorithms, and they've been doing it forever. You know, I mean, I think we've all had the experience. I mean, maybe not everybody's as entitled and bratty as I am, but I think we've all had the experience of somebody, like, cooking you a meal, and you, you liked it, but you didn't love it. And they ask you how you liked it, and you give them a very favorable response, and now they're going to cook that for you every time you, you spend time with them. And you feel shitty because you're like, I, I don't want to eat this like all the time. And it's sweet that you think I liked it more than you did because we have to play this, we have to play this game of politeness which is nice. It's like, oh, would you, oh, uh, would you like a, a, I bought these things called fruit roll-ups. Would you like a fruit roll-up? Sure. What'd you think of the fruit roll-up? It's amazing. Now, every time uh, you see that person, I, I, I'm giving you a box of fruit roll-ups. <laughs> this is getting, this is going somewhere, somewhere else, but, uh, it, it is just that thing where that's an algorithm. It's like when uh, you look up something, it's like, I, oh, I had to look up, um, uh, I had to look up, uh, you know, toys for autistic children. And now you're getting ads for nothing but that. And it's like, oh, you know, I was curious. I had a, I had a, on a whim, I wanted to see something highly specific intended for a very specific type of person. And now I'm being offered that all the time. And that's kind of what it's like in, in real life when someone 
And and people, it's not just people being like, I thought you'd like, uh, because you liked a fruit roll-up once, I thought I'd give you a fruit roll-up every time I see you to make you happy. Sometimes people do that in a manipulative way, like an algorithmic advertisement. So these things, you know, as I say, I, I want this to be hammered home. If it's getting old, that's fine, but man created computers in his image. Man created algorithms in his image. Man created simulations in his image. So questions like, is life a simulation? Are we living in a simulation because weird things are happening? No. No. The answer is no. Does life resemble a simulation at times? Of course it does, because we created simulations to mimic certain aspects of life. So of course life resembles simulations in the same way that your child resembles you. Like, let's say you have a baby and your baby looks like you. Are you going to say, am I a baby? I look like that baby. My face looks like that baby. That must mean I'm a baby, too. That, to me, is what it's like when I hear someone say, whoa, life is behaving similarly to a simulation. Something happened in real life that reminds me of something that could happen in a simulation. That must mean that life is a simulation. I had a baby, and my baby did something that I do, too. That must mean that I'm a baby, too. That's the same exact line of logic. And yeah, you could say, oh, we're all babies when it comes down to it. You could go there with it, but... That's, you know, we know what a baby is. We know that babies grow up. While we're all children at heart, we know we're not babies. Just like... While it's all a simulation at the end of the day, we know that it's not a simulation in the way that we understand the parameters of the simulations that we create. It's like saying, oh, you know, the, the jungle must be a restaurant because you find food there. The jungle's a restaurant. It's just, it's just like a restaurant. You find food there. The bananas grow in the jungle. Bananas grow in the jungle, therefore it's a, it's a supermarket. And people joke about that. People are like, oh yeah, you know, like, I mean, I say that when I go to the supermarket. I say, this is the hunting grounds. You know, we're all at the hunting grounds. Instead of a, a bow and arrow or a spear, we got a shopping cart. You know, you can, you know, it's fun to think that way. It's fun to, to have analogies. It's fun to have metaphors. It's fun to think about things a little differently. But I guess I hear this simulation talk so much that I just want to remind people, people who will never hear this show, that, yeah, looking at life and 
drawing a comparison to these simulations that we create within life is very much like having a baby and then saying, maybe I'm a baby too. (laughs) Maybe I'm living in a baby simulator. Oh my God, I just realized. I thought I was a 34-year-old man, and it turns out I'm living in a baby simulator. I'm simulating what it's like to be a baby. And that's even a real thing, as we all know. There are adult babies. There are people who role-play as babies. They're living in a baby simulator. So baby simulators are even real. I mean, you can download them, I'm sure. I'm sure just like I had Football Mogul, a football front office simulator, girls probably download baby simulators. I mean, they have actual toy babies. Little girls role play that they're mommies. And that, you know, leads them on the path to become mommies. The path. The path to being a mom starts with a baby doll. The path to being a highly successful real-life football coach starts with spending seven hours playing football mogul and ending up in the year 2050 with a team of randomly generated names. It all starts somewhere, folks. I don't know where it all started. I don't know if I believe in the Big Bang. I don't not believe in it. I don't know if I believe in, uh, you know, know, as much as I I like to read the Bible, you know, I don't know that I wholly believe in the exact story of creation as it's presented there, somewhat vaguely. I think all of these things could potentially be tied together. Not to, I'm not that I consider myself a, de, a devotee of syncretism, whatever it's called, when your belief system is a, a hybrid, a, a, a combination of different beliefs. But I do believe things can be tied together because I do believe in the wholeness. I do believe in the totality. And I don't believe that the totality is a simulator. But I believe within the totality, There are many different simulations, but simulations are done deliberately, even if they're done unconsciously. Because people who go to restaurants don't go to restaurants and think, I'm going into the simulator. I'm going into the aristocratic simulator, and I can't wait. Oh, my servant, the servant hasn't come over here with a smile on her face yet. The servant has not come over here with a smile on her face yet. And when she comes here, she better have that bread, and it better not be day-old bread, or or I want to go home. Uh, You know, people don't think that. They just think, I'm going out for a nice evening with the wife and kids. I'm going out for a nice evening. All right, the, the power just flickered, so it's time for this to be over. It's time for the show to be over. It's funny, we lost power Sunday morning. Fall just started. All we've had is heavy rain twice. Today's the first rainy day in a few days. And it's funny how just a few days into fall, no windstorms, no thunder and lightning, just 
fairly normal heavy fall rain for the state of Washington. And the power's already gone out once. And today I've heard generators making loud noises and my lights have been flickering. So just one more little thing, baby. One more little thing. One more little thing. Because that one more little thing is part of the one big thing. Those simulators, all those simulations. Don't get caught up in the definitions and parameters of those things. You have to remember that there is, whether you believe in God, whether you believe in, you know, some sort of void behind the illusion, whether you believe in the Dharma whether you believe in uh, a whole bunch of demigods and deities, or whether you worship at the laboratory, whether you kneel before the altar of science and kiss the microscope. It doesn't really matter what you believe, but don't get caught up in this idea that we're living in a simulation. And remember that, you know, there is a... There is an order to things, as chaotic as things are, as limitless as things are, as undefined as that spectrum can be. I don't believe that you need to think of the wholeness of life in terms that we created. I think that's the best way that I could put it. You shouldn't think of the wholeness of life, the totality of life, purely in terms that we ourselves invented. And we certainly shouldn't think of the things that transcend life, that go beyond our lives, our material, biological lives. We should not think of those things in those terms either. So no, I don't believe we're living in a simulation. But I believe the things that we think of as simulations are a reflection of that larger whole. This land is mine, God gave this land to me, this brave, this golden land to me, and when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can